I'm Jim Salverson and welcome to VoiceWorks Sound Business, a podcast all about audio and the brilliant people who make it. Recently, the VoiceWorks team decamped from VoiceWorks HQ and travelled to London for the inaugural podcast show 2022. It was a great conference, full of brilliant ideas and an event that made you realise the huge buzz around podcasting in the UK at the moment. During the event, VoiceWorks were privileged enough to be invited to take part in two sessions that you'll be hearing in podcast form over the next couple of weeks. Today, it's all about sport and our session, The Crowd Goes Wild, how to make brilliant sports audio content. For this panel, I was in the hosting hot seat and I was putting questions to three experts in the sport audio space who I'll introduce properly in just a second. Before we do that, don't forget to follow or subscribe to this podcast if you are new to it because there's new episodes of Sound Business every other week bringing you brilliant insight into the world of audio. But now, let's go live to the podcast show 2020, warts and all, for a crash course in sport audio. Welcome to The Crowd Goes Wild, a session that is all about podcasts, digital audio, and of course, sport as well. As you will hear many times during the session today, podcasting is all about knowing your audience. So I want to start with a very quick question. This is me asking you guys a question rather than these guys a question. I'll get onto that shortly. I want a little show of hands to know who we're talking to so we know the best way to answer our questions, basically. So who would describe themselves as a a passionate amateur in the podcasting world? No one. Who's a who's a unpassionate amateur? <laughs> Who doesn't give a shit? <laughs> no, okay. Who would describe themselves as like a, a professional in podcasting that's making great sports content or other content? You don't have to make sports content. Okay, that's good to know. And who kind of works in the brand space or the rights holder space that's interested in podcasting? Cool. A real cross-section, which makes it really difficult to target our content. But that's fine. I'm Jim. I'm hosting today's session all about sports podcasting. We're going to talk about... Digital audio, what makes great sports podcasting and the opportunity that we see within it as well. I've got three brilliant guests for you today, starting here with Louise Gwillem from The Crowd Network, talent director there. They make some ace sports and otherwise podcasts in their sports roster. They've got the likes of The Joe Marler Show and The Geraint Thomas Cycling Podcast as well. Uh, In a previous life, Louise worked for the BBC across their netball and rugby content, both podcasting and radio. She knows her sports audio. Got Jonathan Reynolds as well, who currently is the podcast manager at The Race Media, which is motorsports leading independent podcast publisher. Before his role at The Race Media, Jonathan spent nine years working for Formula One, who are the global sport's biggest commercial rights holders. They made there a whole load of brilliant podcasters, including the Beyond the Grid podcast, which I've looked at very jealously as it's picked up numerous podcast awards over the last few years. Uh, And finally, on the far side there, Sophie Hind, founder and managing director of VoiceWorks AI, also my boss, who will be getting all the easy questions today. Um, That's how we like it. Thanks, Jim. (laughs) Uh, VoiceWorks and VoiceWorks Sport, we're a audio and podcast agency. We work with voice technology, we work with audio content solutions, we work with brands, we work with governing bodies, helping them devise and deliver their audio strategy, which can include podcasting, but it can include a whole load of other things as well. So we'll get stuck into this. There'll be 10 minutes for questions at the end. So if you've got anything you want to ask, please do. This chat will be available as a podcast as well, our sound business podcast. It'll all be available there. So you can listen back. And if you do ask a question, you get to hear yourself asking that question, which might be cool or it might be terrifying. So Louise, let's start with you because 
I always think there's a real synergy between audio and sports, especially podcasting and sport. So why do you think that podcasting is such an effective tool, such a great tool for sports coverage, for sports an analysis and sports broadcasting? Um, well, essentially sport is about community, right? It's about fans. It's about being part of something that's bigger than yourself or being part of something that maybe you couldn't be a part of. You know, lots of people wanted to be sports people but didn't quite make it. Um, so you're part of this um, fandom, this community. And I mean, podcasting for us, especially at Crowd, is exactly the same. Um, we don't just create audio, we create something bigger than that. Um, for example, the Garrett Thomas Cycling Club, we all know Garrett Thomas, won the Tour de France, proud Welshman. Um, we've created him a podcast, um, but we've also created an entire cycling club. So not only do we have um, him chatting to the biggest people in the game, uh, with Tom Fordyce, his co-host, um, you know, got current cycling superstars on it, you know, dishing the dirt from Bradley Wiggins, who comes on and opens up about everything uh, on the podcast. We've also got this entire universe outside of the podcast. So we've got merchandise that people can buy our GTCC uh, cycling jersey. They can go and race for the club on a weekend we're now affiliated with British Cycling um, we've got live tours so for someone like Geraint who's you know coming towards the end of his career he's created an entire business that uh, once he finishes he can you know throw himself into completely obviously he's got other interests as well but um, he's got yeah an entire business with us that he can take on when he retires he loves it um, we get so much interaction with the fans so I also used to work in radio and sometimes in radio you'd put something out there and you're not quite sure who's listening um, you don't get the detailed analytics and you don't get the feedback but with a podcast you've got this immediate feedback loop you don't only get the Apple reviews where people can slate you or tell you what to do better but you've got an email address you've got an Instagram you've got a Twitter you're getting constant uh, communication with your fans and you know who your audience is and that's what you target um, you make them dedicated fans of your podcast and I think it's really similar in that way to sport you mentioned the kind of the community that you've built around your podcasts. Do you think that kind of tribal culture becomes part of the appeal of podcasting? Because broadcast media, traditionally, you can't be one side or the other. You have to be fair. You have to be level. But podcasting allows you to do that. It allows to create a community and a tribe around your content. Yeah, and that is the secret to a great podcast that... You, you know, when you're starting a podcast, you go out and you find out who's going to listen to it and what they want to listen to. And that's who you target. And yeah, it then becomes something way bigger and it snowballs and you get hundreds of thousands of listeners a week. But at the core of it, you're targeting the people that you found on that day one. And you want everyone to feel like they, I was a day one listener. I was there at the beginning. And once you create that tribe, that's where, you know, you can then make it bigger than itself and it then becomes this huge community. Um, but also, you know, fans are getting access to Geraint that, you know, they see him on Sky Sports and he's giving an interview after a race and he's not really going to tell you what he actually thinks, although Geraint tends to. Uh, he can't really hide it. Um, same with Jay Marler. You know, fans that might not might only see them on a rugby pitch at the weekend are getting access to their real thoughts, their day in, day out of their lives. Um, and they love it. They feel like they're in the pub talking to their best friend. And that's all you want, really, is to meet your, you know, your superheroes or to meet these people in, in real life and for them to live up to what you think they are. So all these great reasons for brands and individuals and governing bodies and rights holders in sport to get involved in the space. But Sophie, we see at VoiceWorks all the time rights holders particularly really slow to take up the opportunity that audio is providing them what are the barriers what are you hearing what are the pushbacks that you hear for people getting involved in the audio space 
Yeah, I think we've spent a lot of time talking to a lot of rights holders about this. And one of the biggest things that comes across to me is, I want to say visualisation, but actually I think the word is audiation. I think that's a word. <laughs> audiation. So I think they, they struggle to hear what their audio strategy could sound like. Um, it, you know, I think there's been so many very, very successful, what we would call fancasts, um, you know, so big audience podcasts that are about Leeds United or Tottenham. And I think particularly with football clubs, they think they need to go that traditional route where they create a podcast that's a post-match review or analysis. And they're in a very difficult position because they can't necessarily analyse the manager's performance or the team performance and criticise. So I think they're nervous of creating something that is not that authentic and not that interesting. So I think one area is being able to think about what that audio strategy should be, which is obviously what we like to help with. The second area I would say is probably the resource and time. So they focus very much on the areas uh, you know, that they, they know work for them, so digital and video. And often within those teams, there might be somebody who's given audio as a project, but as we know, it's very, very hard to create great audio. You know, it's very different to creating video. It's a real skill. And if it's given to someone as a project, um, it, it may not just, it may not get the time and attention it deserves. So many have tried and then done a bit of a pilot. It hasn't really got the audience they expected and they've put it to one side. So I think those are the main barriers for them at the moment. It's, it's kind of understanding what's possible and what content they should be using. And to Louise's point, you know, what does the audience want to hear? Um, and also having the resource to do it. You've been this from, at this from the other side, Jonathan, as a rights holder looking to make content, and it seems from the outside looking in that F1 really got it from the start. I don't know whether that was the case or not. Well, what, considerations, kind of you to say. <laughs> what considerations were you making when you were looking to take that step into audio? Were there the, same, were there the reservations that Sophie mentioned that you weren't sure what that content looked like? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all very familiar, really, what, what Sophie was saying. I guess... The, the difference at F1 is we were in a privileged position where there'd been a, a, a change of structure, change of ownership at the company, and there was a, a full-scale digital transformation in progress. And so the, the audio strategy, the podcast strategy, was, I guess, a part of that, uh, pushing in all directions, giving us a chance to uh, speak to fans in a way we'd not spoken to fans before. You know, we produce a lot of uh, video content, a lot of short-form content, but this was a chance to do long-form content to... Uh, engage with those fans at times of day and in places where they wouldn't normally be engaging with F1. Um, so that was really the, the, kind of, um, the kind of big push, really. I guess there, there wasn't really any, any pressure to do anything in particular, but I guess because you are the rights holder, because it is F1, there is that sort of um, you know, intensity of the spotlight being on you. You can't really come up with something that, that doesn't really work. Was there um, that pushback from like brand managers or whatever, though, that you, you can't do certain things, that if you're allowed to make this audio product, you might damage the brand reputation, you might step on toes, you might ruffle, ruffle feathers in some way? Definitely. And that, uh, that ultimately, you know, the way we came up with, with the show that we came up with was starting off looking at what we couldn't do. And once we determined that within that space, we could then think, well, you know, uh, what's our unique kind of selling point? What's the thing that we can do that other people can't? And that came down to access. Um, but then, you know, you face other challenges because people assume that 
um, your Formula One, you can you can have access to Lewis Hamilton for an hour every day and what have you. And it just, it, you know, it, it doesn't work that way. We're also working in um, what is an incredibly visual sport. I think everyone will be familiar with having seen a Grand Prix on television. You know, it's, it's mobile advertising on the driver's suits, on the cars. So then convincing the teams that who have a limited amount of media time with drivers or personalities that they want to spend it uh, in an audio-only format was, again, extremely, extremely challenging because they're not getting the brand exposure they're used to that they could be giving uh, to somebody else. So it, it did take a little bit of time to sort of ramp up and then a sort of proof of concept, uh, do a few, rely on a few sort of uh, goodwill and a few favours to get a few over the line to begin with. And then um, people started to see the sort of, um, I guess, some of the more intangible things, uh, uh, sort of perception of the team itself or a driver's reputation perhaps where before they hadn't had a chance to speak at length. Um, perhaps they were being viewed in a particular light in the media, but the chance to sort of give them their space to, you know, speak in their voice um, instead of, as I say, these, these sound bites, um, it, it was very good at sort of changing perceptions. You talk about the nice, fluffy side of podcasting, which is the audience engagement, which is the bit we all want to do. It's the kind of quite sexy bit. The other side of that, Sophie, is, I guess, around the monetization model of these podcasts, because the engagement pleases 50% of the boardroom, 50% of the boardroom want to look at the numbers. So what's in it for the podcasters beyond engagement? Is it realistic that they can turn these podcasts into sponsorship or revenue streams? Completely, uh, particularly for the rights holders. They've got such a wealth of content that they can use for audio, the, the kind of behind-the-scenes stuff that Johnny was talking about, rather than the obvious content. And for me, it's another rights channel. It's a huge missed opportunity at the moment. You know, there's perimeter advertising and shirt sponsorship and, you know, car sponsorship. But actually, what advertiser wouldn't want to be amongst content, which is, you know somebody listening for 30 to 60 minutes to a really immersive piece of audio from the rights holder or the athlete that they follow. You know, we know that the value of sport audio is high. Um, and for, for many rights holders, they're just not tapping into that opportunity. They can, they can work with their existing partners and move them into their audio strategy, or they can attract new partners who might not be able to afford some of those kind of you know, premier sponsorship opportunities that they already have. One of the things that I think is quite exciting about audio sponsorship in this space is the flexibility of it as well. And we saw recently with Chelsea Football Club and the scenario with the ownership there and their sponsorship of three and three removing that sponsorship and then being stuck with the logo on their shirts for four weeks afterwards. They still had the sponsorship on their shirts. Whereas in audio, you can flex, you can change, you can change messaging, you can move messaging at an instant, which I think is a really exciting part of it. Changing topics slightly, Louise. Now, we mentioned what you've done at Crowd. You've worked with some big mass audience podcasts. But going back to your time at the BBC, you could argue that some of the stuff you worked on was slightly more niche, the netball projects, maybe the rugby projects as well. Do you think audience size makes a difference in terms of the content that's actually being created? Do you approach it in a different way with, say, you would a Premier League football star to someone who's big in the netballing world? No. Um, I don't think it matters at all what your audience size is. I just go back to um, what what are you providing for that audience and what do they want? So when um, the BBC said to me, look, the Netball World, Netball World Cup's coming up, we're going to do a Netball podcast. Um, I actually had to pitch for it because that's how the BBC works. But I worked for the BBC, I pitched for it, I won it. Um, we went and made a Netball podcast 
I just went out and said, right, number one thing is market research. So um, look, it's not going to be a massive audience. So we need to make sure whatever product we're making attracts every single netball person to this podcast. And that's where we start. So we went out and we asked people, would you listen to a podcast? What do you want from it? And it always comes back to in sport. I want to be told something that I've never been told before. I want access to something that I've not got access to. So in netball, that was simple. You go and find netballers who are relatable and will tell the netball audience, which is, you know, majority women and probably, um, you know, quite a young audience, tell them and take them behind the sport. And you do that with, you know, whether you've got access to a Premier League footballer like, you know, Ben Foster's um, really successful podcast, or you've got a netball podcast, take them behind, be relatable, be authentic and tell them the stories from the dressing room or things that they don't get to see uh, on the TV. I think it's a really unique opportunity because there's a limited amount of TV people are going to watch. So once the football match is finished or the F1's finished, you know, you'll watch some analysis on the weekend, but then what are you doing all week? You've still got time to capture people and it might not be they sat in front of a TV or they're sat in a pub, but they're commuting, they're going to bed, they're, they're sleeping, they're trying to get to sleep. Like all podcasts fill that space. Um, so it's what you do, whether, and it doesn't matter what size your audience is, you've still got an opportunity where audio can fill what, you know, the gap where TV is. What's the value of niche in this space? Because it's a, a mantra, again, that you'll hear during the show everywhere, that you need to find your niche as a podcaster. But sport, in general, I don't think doubles down on the niche as much as other genres in the podcasting space. So is it as important to kind of find that one thing to focus on? Or can you be more general in something and go, I'm going to do a fo- podcast about football? I think, firstly, sport isn't a category on its own anymore. Sport is culture. Sport is music. Sport is, you know, even if you say I'm not into sport, everything crosses over. Um, So sport is just as much culture and society as, you know, a a female lifestyle podcast. So um, I think, yeah, you can have your niche podcasts, which are totally dialed into the analysis or whatever, but TV's kind of doing that. Um, you know, all the big the big sports people who are starting podcasts um, or getting involved in the space, they're not just talking about their, their podcast. Take that Peter Crouch podcast. You know, he's talking about what they listen to on the team bus when they went out for drinks, where they go to eat. They're not talking about, oh, and then we played 4-4-2. And, I, you know, that's not what... Um, what he's that's still a niche but he's not you know he's not pinning down to the analysis side so I think when you're thinking you know and even rights holders are thinking about a podcast it's like what else does your sport cross into um and think bigger picture like um Jay Marler who's just out there chatting is a uh, England rugby player but he is much bigger than just a sports person um so when we started his podcast we thought okay well what are your other interests and what do you want to do and what will people listen to I mean if you know him he's an absolute larger than life personality totally unpredictable but such an interesting guy so we created a brand and a podcast for him where he can just go and talk to normal people um and he's a fascinating enough man in his own in his own right and he's got enough interests outside rugby that he crosses over into all all those other areas so that's not niche no but I don't think we should think of sport as existing on its own. Jonathan you're in a new role now you're away from F1 you're obviously trying to assess your strategy how your new role is going to look and what projects you're going to be working on how do you see this space developing over the next 12 months in terms of sports podcasting and sports audio? Well, it's interesting there that, you know, talking about niches, actually, because where I'm working now at the race, um, 
it's a lot more focused. We're, we're an independent. First of all, that's the big thing for me is is working for a, for an independent publisher because all those things that were kind of topics that you couldn't go near before as a as a rights holder, you know, you see the sort of the road sort of opens up a little bit in front of you to use a terrible motor racing pun unintentionally there, um, but um, yeah, I, I think from the from the point of view of where I see the future going, I would love to see more athlete led podcasts and not i mean there's a lot of things with with former uh, sports stars and athletes and so on but people who are actually in the you know in the prime of their careers at the time and there's a few more things like that um about now you mentioned ben foster i know he's not quite in his prime perhaps maybe that's unfair of me to say um but you know things like that i think would be really great for um again bringing the bringing the listener inside these people's worlds um also think things that perhaps doing stuff at events sometimes can be difficult around with rights and so on and so forth, but stuff that really aims to capture the kind of environment. There's a lot of, um, a lot of podcasts rec recorded in studios for various reasons, recorded over Zoom and so on and so forth. But I would personally love to see more on event um, recordings that capture the kind of the ambience that we all love so much about sport is such a such a big part of the the whole um, kind of spectator and experience. And if you can bring that into people's uh, into people's ears, I think that'd be really great. Do you think we'll see more formats coming out of this, Sophie, in terms of sports audio? I mean, in general, I think sport podcasting content it tends to fall into two categories: it's interview content or it's three middle-aged white blokes sitting around a microphone talking about their favourite football team. It's kind of that. And there are variations within that and there are people doing exciting things, but that's a generality. I heard Johnny Vaughan talking earlier on the global stage downstairs and he was talking about how he sees podcasting as match of the day and he sees radio commentary as the match itself. But does it have to be that way? Does it have to be that separation between podcasting is all about post-match and then... For live stuff, that's all focused on what's coming out of your radio speakers, for example. Not at all. I think the opportunity is to own the narrative and to really think about what the fans want. Uh, I think a great example of this is Manchester United, who launched a very, very successful podcast. You know, It's got millions of listens now, and it's probably one of the biggest rights holder ones alongside F1. And they've gone back and used archive stories. They've given access to past players, managers, people within the club. They've tackled some really hard-hitting issues. And I think that's a classic example of them owning the narrative, thinking about the stories that the fans want to hear, and not just fans here, but fans worldwide, and creating stories with audio. And I think that's, that's the approach that, most rights holders should be taking and and bringing the fun stories to life the sad stories to life um and you know the characters that and not in a way that they can do in a post press match interview going back to something you said earlier louise about the kind of community and tribal nature of podcasting and i guess this reflects back onto the difference between a live broadcast and like a podcast post-match analysis whatever it might be is there a fundamental conflict there between the experience of sport and the way it's listened to on a tribal crowd, to <laughs> use your name, level, and what podcasting is, which is fundamentally, it's a kind of solo, very intimate medium. Is there a conflict there or can that be overcome? I don't think so because, yeah, you listen to it on your own, but you're listening to it to be part of something else. Um, and I think, you know, 
podcasting now is so much more than the audio. So there's the video strategy alongside it. There's the social strategy. There's the community. You need somewhere for people who are listening to it to come together. So, you know, like fans meet up outside matches. You've got um, so someone here who's part of my Spurs WhatsApp group. <laughs> um, like we've all come together. Deepest sympathy. <laughs> oh, no, not anymore. We got fourth. Um <laughs> Yeah, like that is... You do that know is, I'm a Norwich fan, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> Poor you. Um, yeah, so you like the meetups we have around the football, you've got that in podcasting as well. Um, that it kind of extends. So you all come together because you've got this one United thing, which might be the podcast or the person who's on it. But we saw with like Peter Crouch, they had Crouch Fest. That's why you're getting live tours. That's why you're the rugby pod and all those huge rugby pods are selling out arenas because it's exactly the same. Like you're converting something that people listen to on their own but you're making it them into this huge fan group um and that's why yeah all these pods are now making money on live tours one final question which i'm going to make each of you answer then we'll take some questions if anyone's got any but what one key thing would you say to someone who wants to make a sports podcast it's a horribly general question but i'm gonna louise is pulling a face i'm gonna start with sophie (laughs) what one piece of advice would you give someone who's looking to get into the audio space when it comes to sport i think start with the audience and be passionate and particularly because we're talking about sport sports all about passion and that doesn't mean live clips and live commentary it means whoever's presenting whoever the guests are are talking in an engaged and passionate way about the things that they really care about and the listener will follow jonathan yeah, I think it sort of harks back to what I said earlier, really, which is to try and sort of focus on your strengths, focus on what you, you can control and what you can do within the sporting space, not about, oh, I don't have any rights or I can't get to the ground or anything like that. Focus on the strengths that you have and uh, try and be authentic with that, really. That's great advice. Louise? Yeah, kind of leading on for that. So looking at what access you've got and tell me something I don't know. There's got to be a reason to listen to a podcast and usually it's because I want to learn something. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. Are there any questions in the room? Do you want to pick the brains of these brilliant sports audio creators? Uh, just going back to uh, Louise's point about customer research and knowing your audience. So was that something that you put out for you know, a firm to go out and do customer research? Or do you do it yourself? Because that's something I'm constantly wondering. You can go out and you can get it done, but it just comes back to like political polling. Are you better off going into like a local pub and literally asking people what they want? Because what comes back, sometimes you think, I'm not exactly sure that is how I want to pitch things, but you've got it done. So then you kind of got to follow the data that you've got. Yeah, no, we did it ourselves. So I play netball. I've got a circle of people who play netball. I've done it my whole life. I literally message everyone I know and I said, can you take this poll into your netball club and ask them? Um, and you're right. Yeah, you. if you send a company out, you don't, you're not sure it's a bit wishy-washy the data I mean it's time consuming but the best way is like if you're starting in a sport go and embed yourself with the fans get on the fan forums join every Facebook group you can think of and just put a message out and people you know especially in a sport like netball they wanted this podcast so they were willing to help um so yeah I would say just get on reddit threads Facebook groups whatsapp groups whatever you can and get in and amongst the fans there are some brilliant tools that you can measure how a podcast or any kind of audio impacts on an audience. But I think largely it comes down to knowing who your audience is and gut, for want of a better word. I think there's a lot of people in this session 
today in the in the, the this podcast thing that that worked in radio that I've seen have worked in radio for twenty years, and a lot of that radio production comes down to knowing who your audience is and then feeling what feels right and then listening to the feedback you get because just because you start on a format and you start with a set idea that doesn't mean you're then stuck with that one format forever you can flex you can change you can evolve and that's part of it it's a constant feedback loop and podcast listeners love to give you feedback whether you ask for it or not they love it <laughs> and just tell them in the pod in the pod oh dave from essex told us to do this so we're doing it dave from essex didn't say anything but it makes it feel like he said it and you're changing because of your audience and they love that how do you test and evaluate talent and the dynamics between talent before you pull the trigger on the show? Pilots, <laughs> lots of them. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess um, goes back to knowing your space. So, I mean, for the Jay Marler podcast, I worked in rugby. I was actually on the other side of it, so interviewing constantly for the BBC, which was difficult, um, but knew that he had something and knew he was a character and knew he was authentic. Um, but yeah, then the number one thing that we found when you get your big talent that you're going to do a podcast with is who do they do it alongside? Um, at Crowd, we are very, very grateful that we have uh, Tom Fordyce, who's like the pod father, basically, <laughs> he exists on every podcast. And the reason he exists on every podcast and, you know, all these successful ones like Peter Crouch, etc., is that he sits alongside that big talent. He doesn't take the limelight. He pods, he prokes, he, he like asks the right questions and he allows the conversation to follow. And quite often he's cut out of a lot of the edit, but he's done all the hard work to make that conversation flow. Um, so you need someone like Tom if you're going to go for a big talent. You know, some of them can host it on their own. And I think we'll see more and more of that as, you know, a, a footballer starts so much media during their career. By the time they come out, they're quite well versed at broadcasting. But um, you need um, to test the authenticity, get them in a studio, get them to go to the pub together, like go and just, yeah, have a few drinks with them and check they've got that chemistry. And then it evolves as you go on. And actually, it's weird when you listen to the 50th episode or something as the first one, the relationship you'll hear has evolved so much. And don't be afraid to show that on air as well. Um, the audience love, like, you know, joining in on those two, getting to know each other and um, becoming friends as the show goes on. Is that the same process for you, Jonathan, when you were putting together the F1 podcast? Because they are starting from a very different place. You're not starting with talent. You're starting with concept or idea. And then you're finding talent that fits in alongside that. Yeah, so it, it was Beyond the Grid is an interview-based um, podcast. So I wanted to have a journalist. I wanted to find a journalist who'd be familiar to a lot of the subjects so there was a kind of rap, instant rapport. So, but also someone I knew who predominantly would be a good listener. Not so much. I think I, I knew quite a few people who were very good at uh, asking the right questions, but perhaps wanted to insert a bit too much of themselves into the show as well. So the guy we actually landed on, a journalist called called Tom Clarkson, uh, kind of ticked all those boxes. And the show, you know, in many ways it is his show, but it, in in other ways it, it's not his show at all. And a lot of people probably wouldn't necessarily even be familiar with what his name is. They'd recognise his voice, but he's very good at making the you know the interview subject the focus of the of the show, which is ultimately what we were what we were after. There's very few of those people about as well. They're very like hard to find that won't dominate we, we a show. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a real find when you find someone like that. And I think there's a niche out there for you know broadcasters wanting to do that that don't want to. Aren't the star of the show, but like they absolutely are the glue that holds it together. Any more for any more? Uh, all the topics here have come from 
a UK English perspective, but we know sport is increasingly global. What role does podcasting play in that? And how do you know what are the languages or routes to go down for maximum success? Some of the conversations we've been having and some of the briefs that we've been working on have been global. And you're right. I mean, many sports have a massive global audience, but they might have a very different demographic in different countries, for example, which I think was true of F1 as well. Um, so there is a certain amount of research involved and trial and error. Um, but I think we've started now producing in multiple languages. We've recently done a project with EuroLeague Basketball and we've done three different languages, very much as a pilot to see which, which ones fly and you know, with, with the aim of continuing one of them. So there is some trial and error. Um, but I think with many sports, they will start in English language and then maybe go to their second biggest language and take it from there. Touching the EuroLeague thing as well, um, working on that project, it was important to engage the right people at the right stages of that project because assuming that the format that worked in one language isn't necessarily going to work in the other or the humour that works in one language isn't necessarily going to work in the other. So finding the right local talent, the people with that knowledge of the audience, again, it comes down to knowing your audience, was really important to making that project a success. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, we were quite lucky at F1 that, the sport kind of exists in a very English language um, kind of environment, really. Um, all media sessions and everything are conducted in English predominantly. Um, so we kind of lucked into to the fact that a lot of fans globally would be familiar with a, with a podcast that speaks to them in English. Um, so there wasn't really the need to push out into those other sort of languages, really. I think there's huge opportunity in these different other areas, by the way. And you look at the podcast markets in places like turkey for example and there's so few shows produced of a good quality out in that part of the world at the moment there's a huge opportunity for someone to take that boat because we forget that the uk and the us are so advanced in terms of their podcast markets so being able to take advantage of those burgeoning areas who will develop audiences but might not have them at the moment is going to be it's going to be rich pickings for someone who takes that chance and i would add to that that the commercial opportunity in some countries is enormous i mean obviously we know the us i think $2 billion are predicted to be spent in podcast advertising next year in the US. But in certain markets like Germany, for example, CPMs that advertisers pay for in-podcast advertising is significantly higher than it is here in the US. So there's some really interesting kind of quirks um, and opportunities as well. Any more? Yeah, thank you. Um, where do you see the role for podcasting at a grassroots level? Uh, we've talked a lot about top tier, you know, countrywide or global. But where do you see that at a, a grassroots level? Do you think there is an appetite and value from both the rights holder and also advertisers to support that? Um, but, you know, we've been challenged by that and we've been trying to work that question out. I guess for advertisers, it, it probably comes down to money. Um, so at the grassroots level, if you're getting the audience size, I don't think there's any reason why an advertiser couldn't um, advertise on your platform I'm a big advocate that um, you know we're trying to change the conversation with brands around um, you know why start your own podcast when you could invest in a podcast that's already got that audience that fan base and the numbers for some brands like I know Betfair are here it really does make sense to make your own podcast because you're in that space you've got um, you know a, an audience that you can easily capture but for brands that are looking to expand into the audio space um you know, why not go and find a grassroots rugby podcast? I know there's, you know, something like Egg Chasers in the, the rugby space as a fans podcast, 
but it's huge and it's probably like you know the fifth biggest rugby podcast so for me like that is an opportunity for advertisers rather than going if you're um guinness rather than starting your own rugby podcast they they invest in the rugby podcast that are already there and have an audience and they don't need to take six weeks you know to make it so um you know advertisers always going to come down to conversion rate and and fans but if you've got a really niche fan podcast you know your audience you can sell that into advertisers say look we know we've got age 35 to 45 males um who are willing to spend x amount on football boots like you know it's a really obvious audience for them and you can sell that to them i think there's always going to be a what's the word i'm looking for an algorithm for advertisers in terms of audience size investment size and return so if you're selling a product that costs a thousand pounds and you've got a hugely engaged or engaged audience of 100 people, but you're confident one of those people for your 100 pound marketing spend will buy one of your 1000 pound products. That makes sense. If you flip it on his head and turn those numbers around, it makes no sense. But I think it's important if you're making podcasts from a grassroots level. And I've felt this painfully from a grassroots level podcast creation point of view. You just need to be really clear about what your objectives are and your objectives needn't necessarily be the money that's coming into your bank account after each episode is published and i'd say that from a right sort of point of view right the way down to the grassroots levels what do you want to get out of your podcast is it fan engagement like the f1 project so it wasn't about revenue you just want to engage your fan base is it that you want to be seen as a thought leader in a certain space and if you're clear about those objectives, then I think the rest kind of cascades down. But from a grassroots point of view, it is if you have small audiences, it's always going to be difficult to make big bucks. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much to our panel. And thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Sound Business. There is more from the podcast show 2020 coming in a couple of weeks' time. And there is more to come from Sound Business in the future as well, covering off all the latest news and all the exciting parts of the audio space and talking to some of the most creative minds in the industry. As always, if you want to find out more about VoiceWorks, the work we do, or you want help with your audio strategy, head to the website, voiceworks.ai. <laughs>